You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Oh, Grump, what a weekend. What a week. I am back in cold New York. Since I've last been here, I've had two coaches fired. I've had all sorts of craziness, but uh, a great weekend. Uh, My Gators beat Florida State. My Giants beat the Eagles. I got a new head football coach for Florida. It's been a good weekend, Grub. Beating the Eagles is by far the biggest highlight of most seasons. I mean, if if you're not, you know, winning some playoff games, then beating the Eagles is probably the next biggest thing for me. Um, I I can't understate it. I mean, I I went into this game somewhat pessimistic, even though I did pick the Giants to win. Um, I just wasn't feeling really good about it. And I don't think that when I did the episode, I knew for sure the statuses of Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard. Um, so I would, yeah, if I didn't get to do the the show at the end of the week, and I would have predicted we would have lost. I thought to me, you know, we have a bad. The offense wasn't playing well. Garrett was kind of, my opinion was being slightly scapegoat for everything. It would not be the magic elixir that he was gone, and I would have. I would have thought that it's been too much in a short week to be prepared for you know a, a, a front seven like Philly has, and I thought we would have lost. So I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah, that's a lot of what I was worried about too is that front seven for Philly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it couldn't have been a better day, right? We I, we got yeah. to meet a whole bunch of cool people um, and hang out with them. Yeah, I mean, let's give uh, shouts out to, uh, you know, the, the Talking Giants podcast. Those mm-hmm. guys, you know, they had a, a great tailgate. It was great to meet, you know, Bobby for the first time. And, uh, you know, obviously Justin's one of our buddies from week to week. And, you know, we get to meet the entertainer. That was that was fantastic. Uh, I think we have a uh, we have a date to go watch a Knicks game, me and him together. So that'll be fun. Uh, we got Nikki Snacks, who's uh, <laughs> he's a legend. Yeah, <laughs> a legend that grows every week. I, I love the guy. <laughs> so, somewhere in the MetLife parking lot, there needs to be like a brick with his name on it. Somewhere, it just <laughs> deserves to be immortalized along that curb somewhere. And we got to see Ruben too. Came over from Spain, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. And my Gigante's hat on right the hell now. So. <laughs> Ruben, can, thanks for coming over. I'm glad he says his fourth time over here, coming over to the states to watch the Giants. He had a cool old school Giants jacket. The guy mm-hmm. knew his stuff. Just a great, great guy. So, you know, Ruben, when we go out to Barcelona for whatever reason we do, and hopefully in the not too distant future we will, we're going to look out for you and uh, have a night out with you. But great to meet you. Yeah, man. Um, and then to, to top it all off, it was, I wouldn't say a decisive victory, but I mean, I mean, the Giants never. Uh, the Giants had the lead at all points during this game. I mean, small though it may have been. Um, and it didn't really look like Philly was... I mean, I never really truly felt too threatened after like the first quarter. My only fear for a game like this was, you know, 
a foolish mistake we could make. I didn't want to give up a pick six or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's not to say that I go into every game expecting Daniel Jones to have a turnover like most of you, you know, most of the media that covers the Giants or the talking heads on ESPN do. But my fear was we we would play well, it'd be close, and then something would happen. I mean, we have a history with the Eagles for bad things happening at end of games. And I was just worried that something would pop. And unfortunately, nothing popped. We played a pretty clean game, relatively speaking. I mean, we had a, a plus four in turnovers. I, I can't even think of the last time we were plus four in turnovers. I have no idea. I was trying to think of that, too. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any particular game like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they the defense played outstanding. And before we jump into our stars and farts, which, you know, spoiler alert, the entire defense gets a star from me. But worth mentioning two potentially serious injuries here. Adoree Jackson went out in the first quarter with what was a quad injury. He was kind of on the sidelines for a while trying to get back in the game. Didn't happen. Uh, It's not looking great for him. Darnay Holmes, I didn't know this. So he went out of the game after his interception got hit really hard uh, by Jordan Mailata, you know, left tackle, and ended up having to go to the hospital because he was having trouble breathing on the sideline. Um, yeah. He didn't leave the hospital till this morning. So uh, the, the last that I saw was that additional tests are coming. Um, I'm not really optimistic that we're going to see either of those guys for a little bit. It doesn't sound like it anyway. Uh, so that's that's pretty serious, those two guys being out. Um, but nevertheless, those two guys were out for a, a large portion of the game. I mean, Jackson was out for almost the entire game. Holmes was out for about half of it. Um and this entire defense stepped up hard. I mean, Philadelphia scored one touchdown in this game. Seven points. That's it. Yeah. A team that all of a sudden was coming kind of the hip pick or like, are the Eagles going to make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start to hear that kind of, uh, you know, parroting from, from the media sheet. But uh, I didn't like a playoff team to me today or yesterday. No, not. Oh, my God. Offensively, they looked like garbage. It's this league, you know, it's really getting more and more random every single week. And it's you guys are crazy if you gamble on these on games because, you know, we're ready to anoint Dallas as a Super Bowl favorite and they can't get out of their own way anymore. Philly, all of a sudden, you think it's starting to turn the corner on their season and they look awful against us. Just up and down the league. It's just you have a collection of 32, 8 and 8 teams, it feels like. Yeah, it is kind of funny. I mean, even Tampa, you know, went on that two-game slide. It, it, it was very difficult to, to see a consistent, what was it, like the Packers probably? Fairly consistent? I don't know. But um, even then, they had that week one where they were a complete no-show. So it's really just, you know, this is the time of year. When you get around Thanksgiving, this is when the teams make their moves. And I don't think there's anybody out there who's even start, has started to make that move yet. It, does anybody right now, if you were to... I put a gun to your head, say, what two teams are in the Super Bowl right now? Would you be comfortable with anybody? No, I really wouldn't. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy, but also I don't want to uh, just put accomplishments and um, you know ineptitude up to you know it's a it's a weird league, weird things happen. No, no, no. no. Uh, um, you, still have, you still have to win. I mean, yeah. it's just it's not because you know the team woke up with a with a bad headache and they didn't feel like playing. I mean. You still have to win the game. The Giants, the Giants' defense is, you know, there's been some hiccups. It's not a straight line going all the way up from 
where they're beginning of the season. There's been some setbacks, so Tampa was a setback, but they are showing week over week improvement to be a much more cohesive unit than they were six games ago, for example. And it's it's encouraging. I think what really happened here is that Patrick Graham exposed this Eagles offense as frauds. I think that's what it is. I mean, a lot of the Eagles' success is, you know, Jalen Hurts kind of making things happen, things like that. You know, when I watched this game, a lot of – there was a lot of really smart things going on here. I mean, there was a lot of interesting blitzes. I mean, we had a lot of, you know, showing the two A-gap linebackers in there showing pressure, and they both bail out, but then both corners come in on a blitz. Um, a lot of really interesting stuff was done here. But mostly they did a good job of containing Jalen Hurts. I mean, there were some design runs, which are design runs, but as far as the scrambles go, he didn't really have a whole lot of success doing that. Um, yeah. When he decided I, to scramble downfield, I mean, he had what he had in front of him, but you know, him trying to scramble and buy time in the pocket and throw downfield did not really help him much at all. A quarterback that can make things happen out of nothing is great. You know, we've seen... Guys like Russell Wilson, guys like Patrick Mahomes. But when your offense consists of just relying on the quarterback to make things happen, you have big, big problems. You have major, major problems. You know, it's when it's third and eight, there's nothing there, and you can move the pocket and you can get around it, you can get a first down. That's great. When you're relying on that to be your offense, it's not going to work. And I think that's what happened in this game is the Eagles had no offense, they couldn't run the ball worth a lick. You know, uh, guys weren't really open. It was really just whatever he can get with his Jerry hurts with his legs, and that was it. And that makes that makes it for tough sledding for an offense when you have to rely on it so badly. I will say, I, I think Philly started to find their rhythm towards the end of the game, and I think that mostly had to do with um, just how much time the defense was on the field in the second half versus the first half. Um, I think they just started to get worn down a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, it was so. Uh, I remember right before halftime, looking at the numbers, and we were up pretty significant in time possession. It was a very fast first half. We were commenting that it was like one of the fastest, uh, you know, first halves. Definitely top five in Giants history. <laughs> that or I was drunk. <laughs> um. We'll, we will get, we'll refer to that yeah. several more times this episode. We'll tell you later why. Yeah. But. <laughs> but but seriously, you know, th- this entire defense played without several key people. And I'm just going to throw some names out here. Jabril Peppers, in case anyone forgot. Logan Ryan didn't play this game. Blake Martinez, in case anyone forgot. And for much of this game, Adoree Jackson. They produced four turnovers and probably could have had more. If you watch it, there's a lot of opportunity there, aside from just bobbled things and Things like that. I mean, there's a couple where guys were going for the hit instead of the pick, etc. So there was the, the overturned one. There was that could have been a, a pick. That was at the very end with Julian Love, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, it it, it kind of sucks that that this defense can never play with like a significant two score lead or, or, or something like that, um, and th- that every time you know we win a game, it's always down to at least the final minute. Um, and in some cases, the final seconds. I would just love to see this defense play at full strength, and you know, <laughs> well, with, with, with with with. I just would have liked to have seen it once. That's it. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's why we have next year. I mean, hmm. maybe, we, maybe we'll start the season with a roster that's <laughs> as healthy as it can be, and, and work our way from there. But I, I, I think you, you 
you kind of touched on something there. You'd like to see for once that this defense getting bailed out a little bit by an offense. And I think, you know, that was the storyline of this game was what would we see different now that Jason Garrett has been launched and Freddie Kitchens is now, you know, with a consortium of others play calling. What, <laughs> what difference would we see? And did it make a material difference? And, you know, this is a classic game where it's all perception. You know, if I just showed you the box score of this game and I showed you, you know, 13 points and I showed you 300 and something total yards and you'd be like, fire Garrett. Well, yeah. it wasn't there anymore, but it felt different. Well, and I, I can get into that. So, you know, one of the things I cautioned people to be too excited about Jason Garrett and I, one of the things I said, uh, and I don't know if I said this publicly or just to you actually, but you know, the only thing that really made me excited about Jason Garrett being fired was simply that I knew now for a fact that there is 0% chance he will be back next year. That much I knew. And so for that, I was happy. I didn't expect a material difference. Maybe maybe a small difference in aggressiveness and which plays are being called. But in terms of the play design, the playbook, I mean, that's all set in stone. There's no changing that now. So I wouldn't expect much. And especially this game, I even said... On the preview podcast, like, guys, this is a short week, too. I mean, they played Monday night. They fired Garrett. I mean, like, even if they were prepared for this transition or whatever, the players aren't ready for this transition. They're not ready to just learn new stuff. I mean, they also just got their ass kicked. I mean, they've got some film work to do on themselves and their own execution, let alone devoting these four days to learning some new stuff. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Um, that's why it was. That's why I thought it was interesting that – Daniel Jones went to the uh, the wristband with the plays, which he's never done before. I mean, that was part of that transition over. So, I mean, know, some, some I, things I, were a little different then. Some sounds like there was some, if not terminology or just something that might have been a little tweaked this week. Um, I think that was more like an internal. I don't think that's like a Freddie Kitchens thing. I think it was more like, why doesn't he do this? There's no reason not to do this. So, did uh. you see any other little subtle differences? You know, we, we both agree we weren't expecting to see fundamental differences in play calling. But did you see little things like did you notice a little quicker getting the line of scrimmage? Did you notice things like that were kind of, oh, we haven't been doing that before? Or is it just kind of um, well, largely status quo from your standpoint? It, I wouldn't say it's largely status quo. There, there. I mean – Again, for my expectations, it wasn't largely status quo. It's what I mostly expected. Um, but there were changes. From an outsider's point of view, it's going to look largely status quo. And that's just that's just how it's going to be at this point, at week 12. Um, but the things I noticed, yes, more time at the line of scrimmage. I don't have the actual numbers on if there was more motion. I don't remember there being more pre-snap motion. Um, you know, same amount of, uh, I would say, a little bit less trickeration. You know, less gimmicky things. I mean, we did do a flea flicker to tight end screen early on in the game. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, we were, at first we were like, what was that? But then it was like, that's interesting. And I'm not, I'm not against seeing that again in the future. I mean, it's, it's a creative solution for having a tight end that is not very good at blocking and an offensive line that's also not very good at blocking. Because it's kind of like a double fake at being bad at blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, and it actually – Dan Duggan dug uh, – <laughs> Dan Duggan unearthed an old tweet of his where he 
was like it a blown up play from a previous game this year where it looked like it was a flea flicker to tight end screen, but the play never really made any sense and it fell apart. Um, and I, I looked at it and I was like, I kind of remember that play and thinking to myself, like, did we just run a flea flicker to tight end screen? Like, that's the strangest thing. Um, but yeah, there was, I would say, less trick plays. You know, we tried the end around thing. That was its usual disaster of a play. Um, and, but I mean, we weren't targeting any tackles in the end zone at any point. I don't think they ran any routes. That's an improvement. We um, weren't really ne- we weren't in the red zone that often either. <laughs> and that's largely status quo. Uh, but okay, <laughs> but being a little bit less tongue in cheek, um, the targets were further downfield. We had a lot less yes. targeting guys who five yards downfield. And if we did, they were in motion. They were moving across the field. And we saw it work with John. Yeah. And yeah. you yeah, sure. If you get somebody five yards in, it's not that big a deal if they already have a full head of steam and can cut up field. It, it's obviously a very different thing. Um and so that was like some of the biggest stuff that I noticed was how far down the field. How about this um for balance on targets here seven targets for Galladay the most should be what we've all been asking for but then six for Ingram four for Slayton two for Ross all of these people gained between 28 and 50 yards so yeah Daniel Jones only threw for 202 yards or whatever on 19 completions but a very balanced approach meant that there was really no one guy for Philadelphia to focus in on or clamp down on this was what looked like a balanced route running attack I mean, isn't that what we want when we say we have all these guys? That's It's to do this, right? We, we don't have an offense where it's just one guy and we're going to try to feed him 15 times a game and then give scraps to everyone else. We want to we're gonna utilize these weapons. We've heard all offseason, you know, the weapons this team has. Well, now let's let's utilize them. This, you know, we're getting them healthy. You know, we still need Kadarius Tony. We need to lead Sterling Shepard back, but... There's still plenty of options to use, and they are effective op- options. Now let's use them in their proper skill sets, you know, and more catching more guys in motion, more crossing routes, you know, beyond the, the, the sticks. That's what this offense out. Don't make everything such a grind for 10 yards. Every It makes it for a long way to go for a touchdown and very time-consuming where, you know, maybe you get to break out a chunk play and you – you instantly split field position and, and things like that. That Those are the things that you need to do to win a game, especially when you're playing these low-scoring slogs that are, that are close. I would also say if – I have to rewatch this and specifically key in on it now, which pisses me off because I've already rewatched the game twice in addition to seeing it live. Um, eh. But it felt like they utilized Evan Ingram in motion more, specifically Ingram. I mean, I don't really remember him doing a whole lot of stop routes and spot routes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-mm. It seemed like a lot of him, like, and he was drawing, and this is where he becomes useful. I mean, because he doesn't have to, we know he doesn't have great hands. What he has to do <laughs> is, 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 be threatening. I mean, if he gets behind defenders, he draws flags. And on a critical third down in the red zone that set up the touchdown, the only one the Giants scored, he drew a DPI in the end zone. And th- by the way, there was a 0% chance he was going to catch that ball. <laughs> mm-hmm, you're right. I mean, the pass interference, it, it was a legitimate call. It was what it was. It could have been holding either way. But, I mean, that was legitimate. But it would have been cutting it close. I mean, and he does come up with some surprising catches sometimes. But I, I wouldn't. 
I mean, it was like flipping a coin if he's going to catch that one. It was not a surefire one. And that's one of the things that frustrates fans so much with the way they call pass interference now. It's, yeah, you may have your hands on him. You may be, you know, you may be holding him back or something. But if the ball's uncatchable, it's not a penalty. Yeah. And I think what's happening now is I think referees are kind of forgetting that part of the rule that just because you, you know, have your hands and you've locked his arm or something, but the ball's flying over his head or way to the right. It's not a penalty. Yeah, and and you know quarterbacks are totally just throwing to the DPI guy. Like that guy, sure. he gets handsy. If you see him in one-on-one coverage, just throw. And Which so they're they're throwing to more. they're throwing to not make a completion or an interception. So they're always you know six seven mm-hmm. feet in the air. Well, obviously, but like you know fifteen feet in the air. So um, I don't know. I think John Ross, I mean, John Ross, I think, was utilized pretty well under Garrett. And he seems to be fairly productive for the, the you know. His role. I mean, yeah. the, guy is a, he, the guy is a fourth, fifth receiver. I mean, he's. <laughs> he's like know, a one-trick pony. He's, he's fast. That's it. Right, Just exactly. Go, go so out there and be fast once or twice. Yeah, we're not going to be throwing, you know, uh, post patterns four times a quarter to him. But when we do, that's the guy you want, you know, hopefully getting beyond the, you know, beyond the secondary. I think we're starting to see, and I'm starting to get somewhat excited for Darius Slayton being, um, he's not yet, so don't take this the wrong way, but I'm getting excited for, I'm starting to see him winning in a more dominant faction in that number three role. Now, he didn't really have that role in this game because no Shepard, no Tony, right? But... In the last two games, I thought Darius Slayton, now that he's healthy, is either catching balls in good spots, not dropping them, or drawing flags. Last two games now. And he went three for four for 40 yards in this game. Now, I know that's not – that's like number three numbers, right? Yeah, I'm going to need more consistency consistency out of him. Before I get excited, I think, you know, this is a good baby steps because I was pretty down on Slayton. I was down on him last year. Um, I'm not a fan, but – Seeing the opportunity presents itself when you have Tony and you have Shepard down, he has to step up and making plays. That's encouraging. I mean, so I'm gonna put it in the encouraging. So, uh, circle for right now. This this um thought that I'm having is not based in any kind of numbers. It's just little bits of things I'm starting to see that I don't feel like I was seeing from him in the past, and you know, didn't really feel like he was ever the number three option on this team. It always felt like he was being forced into a larger role than I think he's he's really meant for. Yeah. Um, so what's his, uh, what's his contract story? Um, I can pull that up. You just got to give me a minute. So <laughs> while I'm doing that, what I'm going to say is another thing that plays into that whole thing um, and his his role as the number three in the offense, and we're, is we're not going to see it this year, but part of it is being able to design an offense – where a quarterback has some level of time in the pocket, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we don't – we are calling those plays, you know, whatever, but we just – we're not calling them on a consistent basis. There's no rhythm to it when we run those plays. I mean, it's just kind of catching them off guard that we run a normal play, it feels like. Um, right. But um, so his contract situation is he is still signed through next year. He is only a $1 million cap hit. Um, he's a potential cap casualty, I guess. I mean, you're not saving much, but there's only 50 k in dead money. I would think that, I, I would think that the juice isn't worth the squeeze there unless you really needed those last bits for somebody huge. But 
I, I mean, what are the odds of that? That'd be, I, I don't know that that would I, happen. I, no, I, for what his role is and what your rate of return is on that, I, I think he's safe for next year. So what you can say then is, you know, assuming good health, you are guaranteed Slayton, Galloway, and Tony next year. At least. Shepard is a maybe. I think he's a legit dead cap possible. Too early to tell, and I don't know the numbers, but are we certain Galladay's back on this team next year if they're going to just decide to slash and burn and start over? They can't. Um, they can't. I'll, I'll pull up the actual numbers, but I, I remember it's a, it's a it would be financial suicide. Okay. Uh, yeah, they, they would hit more money dead than if he stayed, so it's not possible. Okay. He just seems like the type of guy that... I, I get it. With a new GM coming in, that's just one like... one of those guys like, okay, we got him, we regret we got him. It's not going to fit what we're looking for. How do we get rid of him? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I understand that. Guys. Yeah. That said, the offensive line was its particularly brutal self. Now, I do not want to belabor a point, and it, I, I take no joy in repeating myself week after week about how bad the O-line is. I know I sound like a broken record and it's not very exciting. Um, so I spent about 15 minutes really looking at stuff and I found that I was actually just lying to myself and trying to find a more creative answer to be more exciting and that's not my job. My job is to be honest and the honest truth is that this offensive line is fart worthy and I don't care if I have to give them – give one to a, sing, a member of this unit every single week. If it's the truth, it's the truth and they played like crap. Hey, man, if you got the gas, blow it out, man. If it's uh, they're worthy of it, they're worthy of it. The one thing I do want to say to you, Grump, though, is, you know, the issues with run blocking on this team. We know the offensive line is bad, but is it the execution of the running backs on this team making this offensive line look even worse than it actually is? And I'm pointing my fingers at Saquon Barkley a little bit. There is a myriad of little reasons why this team can't run the ball well. Um, And that is one of them. I mean, some of it is a bad play call. Uh, And I don't mean that on like, you know, Garrett. I mean, some of that is Daniel Jones is not either afforded the liberty to or not understanding what he sees, but just looks like they're running on bad fronts sometimes. Um, I mean, and that plays a percentage of it. This offensive line is simply bad. I mean, you have several bad players and they have to play and, perfectly and so in harmony every single play and, and some of it's justified because it's not the, the starting five that they sure i mean that's that's uh, for the purposes of this discussion it's beside the point i'm not placing right, blame right. on a on a whatever or how right. did we get here it's just the reason why you know you have four out of five of these offensive linemen aren't very good at run blocking um that, and they have to play in perfect harmony, play after play, in addition to tight ends and other guys who are blocking as well. Fullbacks, they all have to work in perfect harmony. Right. And those guys aren't really good at blocking either. Kyle Rudolph, K- Caden Smith is okay. Evan Ingram is bad. I mean, you have a collection of not very good blockers right now. That That is an important chunk of it. Another chunk of it is running backs dancing. Another chunk of it is just... Um, running, blocks don't, running backs don't block. Yeah, I mean, some of it is that we don't really have a legit fullback, too. I mean, I'm also looking at you, Saquon Barkley, too, as someone who can't block or won't block. Um, and and you can see the that all these reasons are there when you see the successes. Like, oh, look, they they just hit the right guy this time. How about that? Or 
You know, they did just enough to get that guy. And then, oh, Booker just took it straight up and down. See how that works? You know, when you run that play, going straight up and down is the way to go. You know, we see all these different things as, as proof that there's a myriad of different reasons why this team can't run the friggin' ball. It's not just the O-line is bad. It's not just Jason Garrett can't cut plays. It's not just Barkley doesn't hit a hole. It's all of those reasons. And not one is more important than the other. Just some are... Can we focus on more factors? Can we, fo- can we focus on Saquon for a couple of minutes? Because sure. you know we we can talk to our blue interface about the offensive line. We know that there's going to start being some decisions made about Saquon Barkley coming up. And what do you think is going on with him? Do you think this is still just a mental block from from the surgeries and you know past surgeries and fear of potential future injuries that he's not what he was before? Uh, what's going on with him? I would I would be lying if I said that's 0% the chance. You know what I mean? Like, there is some level of that in him. There's some level of him still being slightly hurt. I mean, he does still have a bum ankle. I'm sure that's not feeling great. Um, some of it is also, and I, this ties into the O-line thing here, so to not be dramatic, this is a really good Philly defensive front. I mean, it's probably the best part of this entire team is that defensive front. So, I mean, some of it is is that as well. Um, some of it is, um, I don't know that he belongs in what we're doing right now. And what we're doing right now is based solely on what this offensive line is capable of doing. Um, I think that if, I I mean... It's a group of bad run blockers, man. I mean, and we're just calling whatever running plays we can make work. Um, and and I want to I want to say it's something different, but we have nothing from last year for Saquon Barkley, so I can't even, you know, grade on anything because you go back another year and it's a bad O line again. So I mean, yeah, I, I get I, that, but I'm talking about even when you see him in space a little bit, you know, you, we, we don't see the burst we did before. Well, we I mean, he ripped it. off a thirty yarder in this game. Right, but that's a, that's a seventy yarder last year or two years. Ago. Maybe. Well, I mean, like I said, I think he still has a bum ankle, and I do think that there is a small percentage chance that those heavy cuts, you know, that he does I, to break free, you know, are I, are. I just see just a level of indecisiveness on his part. You know, when there's a hole before he cut and he hit it, now it seems there's a little more dancing there has been before, and that's not a that's not an offensive line thing. That's a him thing. And again, I don't know if that's just mental, just trying to get back to where he was before in his head, or if that's just what he's going to be going forward. Because if that's what he's going to be going forward, he's very average. Yep. And that's a big – it's going to be – you know, he still thinks he's Saquon Barkley, and his agent still thinks he's Saquon Barkley. Oh, yeah. I mean that financially what they choose to do, I don't see a way that they're going to be able to sign him and – I don't think there's a way they want to for that kind of money either. I, I mean, people have made the point that, you know, he's a very good John Mara guy because he's very advertisable. I mean... Is he? Yes. He's a he's a good-looking kid. He's splash play, so he's highlights. He's a nice guy. I mean, really. I All mean, right. that sounds stupid, but he's very marketable. I mean, he's a very That's New fine. York guy. There's nothing to his character that is shady. And that's important this day. I mean, really think about before Eli Manning, who else do you have? You have Michael Strahan. I mean, they tried some weird stuff with Justin Tuck. He's not very flashy. 
Jason Pierre-Paul is not very intelligent, I want to say. He's not very... Well, he went to USF, so... But, I mean, he's not very uh, articulate. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's just... He's a guy. It's fine. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying, Saquon Barkley is an articulate, good-looking, great character, and he is highlight-worthy. I mean, that is... He was. The only thing that's missing is stats. If you had the fifth part there where he's just putting up numbers, 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 he'd be the perfect one. But he's well, the other, four out the of five. Is, the other thing he's missing is being on a winning team. That wow. really that really elevates you to be, you know, as far as. Uh, but, you're, but what are you talking about now? Are, are you talking about, like, ad, for, for nationally? I mean, for John Mara to want him, he's a, he's a giant's draw. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean. Do you think there are still fans who are just going to giant games just to see him that wouldn't go to a giant game or wouldn't watch because he's not playing? I don't know, and this is like an elitist thing. Uh, I, I just I can't get in the mindset of people who haven't been. You know what I mean? It's hard for me to separate yeah. that. I, I mean, I, like, if I hadn't been to a Giants game in five, six years or something because I moved to Thailand and I'm just back in the States and it happens to be winter and you're giving me a free ticket. I don't know. Am I excited to see Barkley rip off? I, maybe. I don't know, man. It's hard but, to answer. But, but, but like if you're kind of on the fence of like, eh, I don't know if I want to go. But if I knew, oh, Saquon Barkley's playing today? Yeah. yeah I'm in. I don't know if he, I don't No, know. I guess not. I when you put it that way, I guess not. Anymore. I don't think he's doing that anymore. Maybe like in his first couple of years – yeah, there was a definite buzz about him. But I mean, okay, so list the guys in the NFL that would make you do that. It's hard to think of any non-quarterbacks, if I'm being honest. Uh, just, say, just saying. I mean, I'm not trying yeah, to argue I mean, with you. I'm, I'm sure there's some receivers out there that you're like, oh, I, I, I really want to see him. But, uh, I mean, like when Randy Moss was playing, he was, you know. Yeah, but, he, but there is him. no Randy Moss now. Well, oh, Odell Beckham was. I, I wouldn't say that. And maybe, maybe he still is. You never maybe know. He might, he might still be. But, again, that's – that's his name more than what he's actually doing at this point which is Barkley all over again right no but but I mean Beckham had a huge touchdown this past week he had like a 60 yarder or something yeah. so he can still I, all I'm just saying is that the the box office appeal of him I don't think is as big as it was a couple of years ago I now, just I don't I, I don't think that's gonna make any difference on overpaying to keep him no, well, I mean, I just don't think they're in a position to keep. I just, I financially, I really look at it. There's no way to be honest with yourself and say that you're building a winning team and find a way to get him in a contract that his agent will agree to. I can't. I I let's literally just, can't fathom it. It's too difficult. Let's do a com- let's do a complete hypothetical then. Let's say the the Giants have a a decent cap number. They're not a wash in all this extra money, but they're also not up against it. Would you give him the money? Um, I don't think I would. I mean, again, that's not saying now in this hypothetical the Giants are – let's say they are exactly what they are now. They're probably going to end up with six wins probably this year. There's probably be like a 6-11 and 11 team. So there's a lot to rebuild. The offensive line has to be still rebuilt. Uh, you know, we, we need help on the – we need an edge rusher. All the things you know the Giants need. And they have some money to play with, but not a whole heck of a lot. I don't think – I think I might just let it play out. And if he goes somewhere else and someone wants to give him the money, go for it. I I, I wouldn't – I personally, I wouldn't do it. I just – I don't know how I feel what the Giants would do. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if that mm-hmm. answers But, like, me, I wouldn't. I couldn't. Because at the end of the day, I, I just – no. I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't think I ever really want to get into a long-term second contract with a running back in general. I mean, dude's already got an injury history. I mean, what is he – he's not going to want to sign for less than three years, I wouldn't think. And I don't think I want to sign any veteran running back for three years. I just don't mm-hmm. think I want that. I mean, at that point – if, if I think a running back is so seriously a need that I'm considering spending all this money, that is worth a draft pick at oh, that draft? point. Yeah, I mean, at that point... And, and if also, it, there's yeah. always a Leonard Fournette who's available somehow. There's always going to be a cap casualty somewhere. Well, yeah, so, that's the other so, thing. Like, Yeah, that seems like the easiest position you can grab someone of relatively which, good value. But by the way, that's the whole argument for not taking a guy in the in the top round, to be honest with well, you. That when that day comes, if it's sooner or later, when we do the postmortem on Dave Gettleman, I'm sure we will spend a lot of time revisiting that. Cause oh that yeah, that's be- that's news actually for the podcast. Uh, it happened. Uh, what was it, Sunday morning or Saturday? Uh, that the reports are out that Dave Gettleman is to leave at the end of the year, no, which no, no, is no, what no, we no, said. That's, that's not what it said. Because oh, okay. I, I was arguing with somebody about that. Also, it says the reports are it's likely he won't be back, which to me is. Nothing. That's not even a news story. That's just a well. That's, that's true. That that's something being leaked that they want to float out there. But yeah, because I I think it was Pat Leonard who had it. Maybe. No, yeah, no, no. that makes sense. I think it might have been because I couldn't read the tweet, so <laughs> he's the only one who has me blocked. <laughs> yeah, I I think what it actually said was, it's you know it, it's becoming more likely that he won't be returning next year. And that's even that's vague because it could be he retires. That's just saying things. Yeah, that's just that, like, okay. So you know what that ugh. sounds like? That sounds like knows it, knows it for sure, but isn't allowed to report it. Right? Doesn't that? Like he doesn't have a confirmed second source. He's not allowed to. You know, they're, they're like, I'm telling you this off the record, so he can and say. I saw this. I yeah. saw this on Sunday as well with uh, with the Gators hiring their new coach this uh, Napier this weekend. We all knew that the, the Gators were going after Napier for six days. We knew there were negotiations. We followed the plane to, to Lafayette and all that stuff. Sunday morning, it came out that Napier has emerged as a serious candidate. No shit. But when the national media starts saying it, that's when it really has legs. And you know that that was leaked by the agent or somebody to say it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think I think this is a very similar situation that happened here. Um but you know, so that's me. That's not really news. I think we were all under that working assumption he probably won't be back next year. Yeah, it's a hundred percent what we said the other day. So, and I think everybody's saying that too. So our assumptions are, you know, and that's why it made it interesting with the, with the Garrett firing. You're trying to read the tea leaves about Judge and where does Judge fit in this whole thing? You know, for the next GM because we all assume Gettleman's out. So, well, the reports are that what well, the report mentioned. Um, a possibility of going with people in the Patriots organization or line of thinking to be more in line with Judge. The indication from the report, which may be total horseshit or may be, like we said, conjecture that they're not allowed to verify, um, is that Gettleman's out, Garrett is out, obviously, um, but Judge is staying and we're sticking with him. That was that was the and, flow of the article for thinking wise. And not only that we're staying with Judge... We're pushing all our chips in on Judge. Pretty much we is kind of what it sounded like. We are like. double down. Now, again, we're going to spend a lot of time in the offseason talking about that. But your initial 
thoughts of are you all, are you pushing all of your chips in Grump on Joe Judge right now or are you kind of because this sounds like a move where he's kind of dictating things or as at least in the owner's suite making these decisions along with the owners. Are you comfortable with that based on what you've seen from – forget – we know the record is the record. But just from an organizational standpoint and just as a guy who's in control, how are you feeling about Joe Judge? Well, when you put it that way, and that's not the way I really thought about it, but I'm not saying I disagree either. I, I'm not sure. I have to think about it more. But based on the way you're saying that, I'm not super comfortable about it because it makes me think a little bit more of like the Bill O'Brien fiasco in Houston where he just kept losing and somehow getting more control of the team. He was falling upwards. Yeah, I don't know what that – oh, I mean it's not like they were always losing, right? I mean they they had a legitimate playoff team for – I mean Deshaun Watson was – playing really well at certain points they were not they were not always losing but as they they started to lose he kept getting promoted i don't know they were the afc south playoff game where it's always that first saturday at one o'clock of playoff games where it's always houston and somebody else irrelevant that you'd never see later on in the playoffs so i I guess but i mean i'm not saying that's an accomplishment but it's also they weren't like the Giants. I mean, we they haven't been dogs. to the playoffs since 2016. That's, so it's not true. perfectly comparable. But also at the same time, if, if if your phrasing is leading me to believe that John Mara is taking his hands off a little bit more and, you know, maybe I'm not super comfortable that he's pushing, pushing his chips to Joe Judge, but maybe I'm a little bit excited that he's just maybe getting his hands off the chips. And right now, he's got a more sturdy piece at head ca- head coach than he does GM. The head coach, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't love it, but I don't like how much it seems like John Mara was involved with Joe. It didn't feel like Joe Judge got a real chance, does, does it? I felt like – well, I think he got an excellent opportunity. Sure, I think yeah. Also, I think he also had some handcuffs assigned to him. And I think Jason Garrett was one of those sets of handcuffs. Yeah, I think I think a, I think a lot of. Big. I think you can. I, I mean, I we don't know obviously who was put on him and who he brought in, but there seems to be a pattern here, and it looks like the guys that he brought in and the things that he wanted to implement seemed to work, and the guys that he didn't bring in that he still agreed to, Jason Garrett, Mark Colombo. I mean. He agreed to Dave Gettleman. He didn't really have a choice, though, did he? Um, you know, those but guys are all mindset. gone. It's that mindset. And I this has been my repeated theme throughout this season of the giant way and giant football. And it's it's from another era. And I think part of that might be also kind of – that's not saying that, that Mayor is calling down from the owner's booth and saying, hey, you should kick a field goal here instead of going for it. Right. But I think, you know – when you get a a mantra or you get kind of a you know, a vision statement from up above, you're expected to kind of follow that vision statement and follow that mantra. And I think that part of that kind of you know we just seem like an an old franchise and not in chronological age, but just we don't seem modern. And I think part of that might be what's you know, handcuffing him a little bit also. Now, I don't think he'll ever be, you know, uh, a thoroughly modern coach. I don't think he's one of these young guys coming up out of college who's going to light the world on fire with new ideas and, and going for it and all the analytics and everything. But he was brought in 
because that's he fit what ownership wanted in a head coach and he's not going to stray because that's what they wanted you know I know it might be a little bit of a chicken or an egg thing but I think that's a little bit of a of a handcuffs on the guy well I mean some of the handcuffs are what he he came in with right I mean he came in with a different philosophy entirely I mean uh, I'm, I'm sorry came in too I guess I hear my prepositions correct here. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the, the staff that was assembled before him, and, and this is, we've had, I don't want to, like, totally rehash well, you, this, but again. You just, said, you just said it right there. The staff that was assembled for him. No, 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 I, I mean the roster. I mean the roster. Um, okay. I, I mean, you have Dave Gettleman's job, or any GM's job, is to get players that fit coach's system, right? So the players that were there before fit a bad, bad, bad defense and Pat Shermer's offense, Right. Some of that is transferable, but not all of it, especially the defense. So he's got to go in there and make a million changes, like right off the bat. He's got an offensive coordinator kind of on him. He's got no offseason with COVID. Um, and, you know, then he goes into this year and they, they blow all the money and everybody gets hurt. I, I don't know. I, I, so I don't think he's second. ever been totally unhandcuffed at any point. And yeah. I'm not trying to make excuses for him because I have legitimate concerns with him as a coach and I don't think I love. First of all, I don't think I love any one person having a serious control over the team and not some kind of collaborative effort. Um, well, we don't know that that's necessarily the case. Of it course, just... but I mean, once you give, I don't know. I think there's a certain level of he's the boss that you can't take back. You know. Well, like, yeah, I agree because it never works when you you can't put toothpaste back in the uh in the tube yeah in the tube with something like that and we've seen it you know when a coach gets fired usually what happens is before that if he's running calling plays they take play calling away when they take play calling away from an offensive minded head coach that means you know he's going to be smoked probably by the end of that season you never see it really recover back to oh remember five years ago when coach x was no was plays were taken away from him and he's still been successful since it's usually the first of like the uh, the snowball going down the hill yeah um do you think and i know we're kind of going a little off topic here but you know if they decide that gettleman is gone and they bring in a new gm are you dying on your hill that judge needs to stay here but if there's just a simple question of i have a different way i want to run this team and i want to be i want to be gm and coach in sync I think the only hill I'm dying on is that Andrew Thomas needs to stay here. I'm being honest. Um, I, I think there's not a whole lot that I am dead set on. I think there's some good foundation here. I think that they've made a foundation in, in Joe Judge's system, right? I mean, they got the right guys for Patrick Graham's defense, I think. They still just need you know a pass rusher in there, maybe a middle linebacker. But they, they've definitely got enough pieces to be very competitive on the defensive end. Far better than any defense I can remember. And this is two years running of a very good defense, which means Steve Spagnuolo's years are out. Um, you know, he had the one year in 2016 and then, what, 2007 and 2008? Those are the two years that he was good in, in the mm-hmm. early decade. So, I mean, we're, we're going that far back for back-to-back years of excellent, excellent defenses. Um I, we're not I, saying I, we're an excellent defense yet. Yeah, yeah, but so so I think that there's pieces there. I think it's probably the smart thing to do right now. You're, you're choosing right now. It's like we've got a good setup here. Do we like this guy enough? We can go this direction, or we can sever right now. 
I mean, right now they're not fully committed to a whole lot, and there's not a whole lot to be fully committed to. I mean, there's some big contracts in there, and but those guys are all deserving of those contracts. Galladay and Jackson, they got what I would consider fair contracts. Leonard Williams, yeah. I would say, is maybe playing above his contract. Uh, maybe not. Um, well, I think I think the big difference is really going to be, Grump, is like where that decision comes from. If I think if they want to stay in-house and, and promote somebody up to replace – it makes kind of logical sense that Joe Judd stays because, you know, they're just kind of – they're continuing to implement a plan that was started by Gettleman. Now, do I agree with that? No. Hmm. I, I've i been stumping for a long time that this organization needs a complete culture change. Uh, but if they bring in somebody, you know, off the street who could be A, part of the giant family coming home or just an, an outsider and they just give the keys to the uh, the car and say – Build as you will. I mean, that's, I think that's really going to dictate what, what, the, what the judge thing is. I mean, judges, he, he can go either way with a lot of different scenarios. There's no, you know, oh, we're, you're, you're straddled with this guy or he's just, he has a track record of being good. It's not like a building. I don't think Joe Judge is a building block of an organization based on the, on the two years and what we've seen from him. Yeah. But I don't really want to belabor this now because this is going to be like a whole off-season thing. And, That's true. And, and it's going to be like somewhat week to week as we learn things and don't learn things and whatever. So I don't want to I don't want to sit on this too long because it's we're going to talk about it a bunch. But I do want to mention two young guys who had a really good game. Um, Xavier McKinney again. Um, I, I know, you know, whatever. He, he's a second-round pick. He should be playing this way. Well, I mean, he didn't really play a whole lot last year. Um, so, you know. He seems to be coming around pretty, pretty quick. I, I would say that, you know, he, he had another pick to, uh, Sunday that looked like he had it beat by what felt like minutes. Um, and he almost had a couple others. He's even getting better in the run game and his tackling. I think right now savvy QBs can probably still manipulate him. But right now he's getting the better of the average Q, QBs in Patrick Graham's system. So, th- I mean, this is this is what we want to see from him. He's on the edge of greatness. Yeah, you and, think so? You know, you know something? Second round picks, you know, it's like, oh, well, you're supposed to be. It's like, well, you well, know. It's a smaller odds, hit rate. Yeah the, 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 yeah, the odds of them being great are pretty, you know, they're not as nearly as high, obviously, as a first round pick. And you see a lot of guys that just kind of go by the wayside. I just think this guy, again, for not playing last year, you're seeing improvement week to week to week. He's making plays. He's always around the ball. I think, you know, another, you know, full off season. You know, becoming a real leader on this defense, I think he's destined for greatness. I think this guy, you know, can be a Pro Bowl quality um, safety in this. I league. think I think he might be a Pro Bowler this year. I think he's getting votes. If I'm, I might be wrong about that, but I think he is. Yeah, he might get some votes, but I think like next year, I think he will be one. Yeah. Um, the other one I want to mention is Aaron Robinson, and I don't want to like toot his horn too much because. He hasn't really played a whole lot yet, so I know there's not a lot of tape on him. I know Jalen Hurts is the quarterback, but he I think he deserves a star in my opinion. Um, first of all, he had a huge fourth down pass breakup, which was fantastic. But he had to come in and then immediately take on a much larger role than had to have been anticipated. A Dory Jackson goes down. He, he probably shouldn't be playing on the outside more than a couple snaps. Um, and he went out there, and I think – I have to look back, but I think he only gave up a – one catch in this game um and he almost caused uh, a turnover at the end of the game 
you know, he came in here and he, you know, he was tested by Nick Sariani. I mean, they saw this guy come off the bench and they're, they were going to target him and he rose to the challenge. That is really, really encouraging. Now, I'm not saying that that's, this is who he is forever or anything like that, but it was a star-worthy game because that that had all the writing on the wall for every episode we've done for the last two years. It was like, well, it was going well, and then this guy got hurt, and they picked on our depth. That didn't happen in this game. They picked on him, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are the two guys I wanted to shout out. They get the other stars in addition to the rest of the entire defense. Any uh, Any farts? Just the O-line. I, I mean, it really came down to... I, I, it's all five of them. Not one of them played a great game. I'm going to say special teams gets a fart. Graham Gano obviously gets a fart. Mm. That's 51 <laughs> yards, but... Okay. I don't care. Yeah, that's fair. Anytime I see a Noel going wide right, I'm usually dancing up and down, but not when he's on my team. And I, I, I have... I have zero tolerance for Graham Ganol, and anytime he makes any sort of mistake ever, he's just getting a fart from me. So I, I'm giving myself one because I thought it went through the uprights from my angle, so I'm the idiot cheering. <laughs> you know, it's bad enough we have enough Eagle fans around us. I need another guy cheering. To, for to us. be fair, the person behind me is like, yeah, I thought it went in too. It was it was That's a weird I, angle for us, but I'm gonna actually give us a, a little honorary star to the Eagle fans that were sitting around us. I thought you know something. They were all pretty. T- it was. Probably the easiest been, Eagle game I've ever been to. This could have been ugly because think about the scenario into this game. You know, Eagles are feeling themselves after the last few weeks. The Giants fire their, you know, we're falling into the abyss on another wasted season. And, you know, they all came up. They were all over the place on the train. And you, it could have been, you know, there could have been uh, a, a classic New York Philly bloodbath. And they were actually pretty decent around. You know, they were, you know, listen, if you're an away fan, you're allowed to cheer. You're allowed to sing your songs. That's not what bothers me. It's the turn around and look at me. And we didn't get any of that. So I'm going to give you the guys that were around us, you know, a little honorary star. And to be fair, there wasn't a whole lot to cheer about. But um, I'm not giving it an honorary star for uh, Philly fans not acting like animals. Um, hey, I'll give I'll give them some claps. Thank you for bar, being humans. The bar is so low with Philly fan. You know, the, the, the animals that they are, and you're all animals. I'm not, I'm not excusing you for what you are just because you are on best behavior. You're all still pigs, and I can't stand you. But they showed a little civility. So yeah. I'll give them that, that plastic like fake sheriff star that you give like an eight year old that's their star that's their honorary star <laughs> like the wings and you're on an airplane like yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah just like that fine they get a they get a they get a shiny plastic star for me that's that's fine <laughs> all right that's that's enough for this um be sure to follow us on twitter i'm at football underscore grump he's at the cranky fan we will see you guys friday for our preview episode against the dolphins big big game? big game up a game we're not going to. We decided to yeah. not bother going down, I guess. But maybe a better season, we would have made the road trip. We are still going to Chicago, so we yeah. will. We, we, we chose the colder of two trips. Don't ask me. Exactly. Well, it's, uh, draft picks are on the line for that game. Good That's more point. Important. All right, everyone. We will see you then. Go Giants. Go Giants.